What's up everyone? Welcome back to Off The Chain, the backbone for storytelling across builders, creators, and collectors within Web3. Each episode, we dive into how these technologists use the power of blockchain to build businesses and foster creativity. Today, we've got Alex Salnikov, the co-founder and chief strategy officer at Rarible. Rarible is a one-stop shop for NFTs, including the ability to mint, trade, or create your own marketplace. Rarible really has it all. The conversation with Alex was very comprehensive. He shared with me his early efforts as a crypto trailblazer in 2012 to where Rarible is now as a company. From finding new audiences, navigating the bear market, as well as their newest product offerings, the Aggregator and New Rewards program. I'm glad to call Alex a friend and can't wait for you to hear the conversation. Enjoy. Alex, what's up, man? Good to see you. Good to see you too. I know we got to meet on Friday, and so I'm glad that we got this scheduled. It was extremely good timing, and it was awesome meeting your team. Everyone was extremely nice, and so nice resources and new friends to have in the New York Web3 ecosystem. New York Web3 ecosystem is thriving. It, it is the place to be. It really is. And are you New York and Miami? Did I hear you say that somewhere? I did. Uh, I was in Miami when I just moved to US this year. And first several months I spent in Miami because everybody told me that all the cool people left there and New York is empty. And it's like no one really here anymore. All the progressive Web3 guys are moved. But uh, I think it's still too early for Miami. It is the place to be if you want to build for the next like five to 10 years of your career, be in the epicenter in, in five years. But I thought that for the company, it is very important to be in New York like now. Awesome. And what percent of the rareable workforce are working in New York? Uh, it is more or less like 10 people. It's shifting. Somebody's traveling all the time. And in total, we are slightly above 50 so it is like 20%. It's mostly a leadership team. So it's an important 20%. And are you seeing more people move to New York to work with Rarible or are a lot of people still comfortable just working remotely? A lot of people still comfortable working remotely, but when pandemic ended, we realized how important that is to be in person. And I think maybe two or three people were in New York uh, at the beginning and we all moved in to be in one place to work to bump each other on the shoulder to ask questions before we get going let's just make sure people know who i'm talking to right now so can you quickly tell us who you are and just a little bit about rarible for those who don't know i'm alex i am a co-founder and now head of strategy at rarible my background is product so before moving to strategy I was doing a product at Parable, the first product. Now I'm focused on the token strategy and then the high level. How do we position ourselves? What do we do? That's awesome. And what about Rarible? For those who have been living under a rock, what does Rarible actually do? Rarible is a lot of things. It is a one-stop shop platform for NFTs. If you ever wanted to create NFTs or trade NFTs or even create your own marketplace for NFTs, this is all Rarible. So Rarible today is an aggregator. You can come and buy any items from any place. You can create any items on, on Rarible and there is a Rarible protocol that allows you to start your own business. 
That's great. And I know there's been a lot of product updates that we're going to talk about today, but before going into it, have a bunch of other questions around just your background and some of the other things that we spoke about offline that I would love to get into. And I'd love to start off with your background. So, you know, I usually stay away from this question because I think it's really just too basic. And the question is how you got into NFTs. And the reason why I say it's basic is because 99% of people say, oh, during like the bull run of 2021, I was doing this side project and I bought a PFP and next thing you know, I became a DGen overnight. But you've actually been involved in the space since 2012. And the majority of your crypto experience is actually in financial products. And you said on a previous podcast that you kind of just got bored of it. And so I'm curious, what was your first foray into NFTs and what made you feel so comfortable jumping out of the financial aspect of crypto? Oh, it's really interesting. So I made a lot of reflection on that, actually. Uh, I was always like, this is a smart ass kid. And uh, I'm, I'm originally from Russia and there is a, a, like a strong engineering culture in Russia. And what, while it is very strong technically and engineeringly, I think people tend to overcomplicate things and over-engineer things. So uh, basically all my career since 2012, the, when we thought, oh, what are we going to do? Let's do a centralized exchange with short sales and futures. That was kind of an answer that came from, from my head when I was thinking about what I'm going to do. And so, okay, let's, let's, let's code that. And we spent like three years coding that. And then nobody needs it. So shifting towards like more business oriented approach of what do people actually need and want was one of these uh, core like reasons why we did NFTs. I remember conversation with uh, one of the investors that I know he's a great guy and he said, Alex, why are you doing always like such complicated things? Like do something simple, create a project that people can create tokens on and call it the moon and that's going to work. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds basic. Something in, in that thought caught my attention. Unrelated to that, uh, next thing I know, we, we assembled the team and started to think, what are we going to do next? We tried to create one NFT. Uh, there, was, there was a wallet, there was collectible stuff. It was empty, there was nothing in it. So we tried to create an NFT. There was a couple of projects and then we just traded it. I, uh, our head of design, he's into culture, basketball, skateboarding, and he created this like nice skateboard deck of an NFT and we traded that. And just the emotion of, I own that, this is mine. It, it felt very consumer, like that it, you can translate that into the business. People, it, it's an amazing emotion and you want to, you want to experience it and maybe you will be able and like get paid for for providing somebody that emotion so since you launched rarible and even earlier since you've been in the crypto space this world has changed dramatically and with that change comes a lot of pros and with it comes a lot of cons i'm curious as it relates to the current state of nfts What's a problem that's recently been on your mind that you're either looking to solve for at Rarible or it's just a problem that in general on the side, you're just trying to figure out like, how do we solve for this? What lately bear market is about fundamentals. 
So what I'm trying to think a lot is what is the fundamental value of NFTs? What, what is something that is not uh, flipping, is not speculating, is not going away when the tide goes down? Use cases, I'm thinking about a lot about what does it actually give people, what, what it is provide beyond maybe just collectibles. And I've been asking everybody this, like around me, like, what do you think is the fundamental use case? What, what is not going away? What, what, what's that? Yeah, I feel the same way. And, you know, we spoke offline about some of the consulting that I've been doing. And one of the companies I've been working for is EthPass, which is verifying NFT ownership via Apple and Google wallet passes. And something that I found was while the PFP craze was so much fun, at the end of the day, a lot of it was, sure, there was community, but I also have a community of friends offline. I don't know how many more new community members I need. And the idea of just where's this utility going? And so I think a lot of people are focused on that. And of course, the world of digital collectibles is going to continue to grow and there's plenty more room for it. But outside of just JPEGs of monkeys, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out where is this going? And so that answer really resonates with me. And, and I don't think anyone really has that answer yet. Somebody has considerations. We've seen art. Art isn't going anywhere. It is, it is there. It's not a very big of a market. I think what offline art is 45 billion yearly. Uh, that is like to comparison, NFTs did all NFTs did 25 billion uh, last year. So that was a lot. Uh, PFPs is like digital fashion collectibles, somewhere between collectibles and fashion. Collectibles part is interesting. It's usually like, yeah, let's store our money in there. But uh, like I, I, I bought a doodle. That's the most expensive item I ever bought in my life uh, because I just like I just wanted that. It's it's very consumer behavior. So in my mind, all NFTs are going to somewhat like e-commerce of of the metaverse. There will be just like everything for sale, uh, like in the real world. And what we lack is a little bit of physics. In real world, we can connect items to each other very nicely. And in the digital world so far, they, they live somewhat separately. And yeah. that's important. Yeah, that's a super interesting take. I'd love to shift over to Rarible and your user base. And so your team has obviously carved out a great customer base. And I'm curious, what does the average rareable user look like? Are they heavy traders? Are they buying more one-of-one -one art? And why are they choosing rareable versus other marketplaces? Majority of rareable users are creators. And they discovered rareable initially when there was no places where you can create your NFTs. So one of the most used feature of rareable is creating NFTs, minting. Uh, we have minting of single items. We have minting of 1155s, which is semi-fungible. You can have a hundred editions. Uh, that was important for creators that want to reach more wide audience rather than sell one of, uh, of, of its kind. Um, so majority of people are this no-code, low-level, not low-level, but like low-technical, 
um, that even maybe highly technical, but not enough to code it's that kind of uh, level of depth. Uh, you you're very comfortable clicking buttons, choosing, looking at either scan on your transaction and other things, but uh, you can deploy your smart contract yourself. You need a, a friend who is into tech to help you launch a collection. So variable was that friend that helps you do something that a lot of people say that, oh, variable was the first website that I met NFT on. Like I tried to create my first NFT was on variable. My first NFT was on, on variable. I first created, first bought on variable that that kind of would be the user portrait. And we're going to get into your new products a little later, but in the meantime, what's a new customer profile that you're looking to attract to Rarible right now? We're looking at the generalist. So Rarible team historically been strong in UI design brand. Um, so we're looking to attract people who are enjoying the the user experience, uh, who are not so hardcore traders, but more like a very generalist approach. Oh, I, I want to find anything. So I one stop shop. I don't want to I, I don't want to mm, load my head with a lot of overhead. Sorry for repeating. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, generous approach, uh, somebody who wants to buy something or sell something is not very much into it uh, because like there are some professional um, platforms that you want to go to if you're like super pro, but in the same time you are deep enough. So you want to have all the supply available. You want to have everything that is there for you. You want to know for sure what are the prices and other things. And when you think about growth in, let's say, 2023, are you primarily interested in growing your existing user base and getting them to use more of the Rarible product suite? Or are you looking to attract an entirely new audience that has not engaged with Rarible before? We're looking to attract new audience. It is the game of blockchains. There is a million people who have MetaMask and NFTs on their MetaMask wallet, maybe 2 million by now. It is nothing. Yeah, that's fair. It, it really is nothing. And it's kind of funny how overnight Reddit does 3 million and everyone's freaking out, but even still 3 million's really nothing. And so I totally agree with you on that. And you know, another big topic of conversation in terms of it still being a very small user base is we have obviously seen a decrease in trading volume. How has this decrease in trading volume affected the Rarible roadmap? Well, it is the common playbook during good times, during bull market, you launch experiments, you do all sorts of things to try them because you never know what's working. So you launch 10 experiments, you launch a lot of that during bear time, you're selecting those that worked and you discontinue all others. So you become more focused, more targeted, there's less resources to spray and you have to be better at priorities, prioritization. I did a 
yeah, you have to be better in setting up priorities and understanding what are you building, what people need, what is important. It's it's a very generalistic approach, and that's how it works very well. During bull market, we launched multiple ones. We launched a messenger, a mobile app. And now we're concentrating on the core business, which is like trading NFTs. And that's why we, we released like Variable 2 with all that. Did you see the bear market coming? And if so, do you think you were properly prepared for the downturn or it was and still is somewhat chaotic to manage the team and manage the product on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, while I was in this space for some time and I experienced maybe two or three bear markets myself, uh, I wasn't so much prepared in the sense that in, during previous bear markets, I didn't have like a company to run. It was mostly I was in between my projects in the bear markets. Now I am, I have a company to run, so it is somewhat chaotic, as you said, but at least we are prepared mentally. We know how it is like inside and it's not that we're like, oh, what the hell are we going to do? We don't know. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of like internal conversations that to be had. And I'm sure as a leader, this is probably a, a new skill set that you're trying to figure out, which is how to make sure that you continue to keep your employees enthusiastic and proud and and make sure that they know, hey, the good times will roll back again. And in the meantime, our job is still to build. You know, like you can't just give up and say, let's just wait for people to come back. It's no, we've got to continue building for the people who are here. And we finally have time to get back all the debt that we have. We've been working on this like, token program for a while. Uh, and frankly, during bull time, there was just like never a good time to get our heads down and, and build it. To, we have time to rebuild infrastructure. Uh, in the bear time, you build a year and you see the result of your work in a year. So that is like you have time to get strategic. You have time to get in front of your competitors on something strategic rather than just chasing around the next user and the next bull run. Everything is going to shift. I think the note on competitors makes a lot of sense. And it's a question that I have for you, which is how much do your competitors moves affect the rareable roadmap? It's an interesting question. It's not like directly that we see something moving on the outside and that's that is somewhat affects our roadmap. There is always market research when we create a roadmap, like what's going on in the space, who's moving where. But usually you already have a roadmap and our competitor moves are just okay, you you watch them do it. You react sometimes, but I think at this point market moves very much just parallel to each other. There is not many innovations happened in the NFT space for two years. Maybe the only really innovative thing is Swap that came out lately that never tried before, that was never tried before. But aside from that, what, there is five aggregators that launched uh, for the past several months. So everybody thinks about the same stuff. That's fair. And do you find yourself to be as a founder competitor obsessed and reading into everything that your competitors are doing or are you mostly going by your own knowledge and your own gut for what you want to build it's a good thing uh it's a good question i love when people respond with good question when i ask a question <laughs>
yeah it makes me think i i i honestly haven't asked myself that before so i'm trying to to fish for the answer in my head right now i think i'm pretty obsessed about other moves just because it is usually very interesting to see what other people do and if that worked uh it is Second time interesting, like, oh, why did that work? Why that did not work? What do the user think? How do they react? So as a market research, uh, I'm, I'm always, always really interested. I remember when Luxrare launched, I was, I was like proud and obsessed at the same time. And uh, they obviously followed the playbook that uh, was the token that Variable had initially, but at the same time they added uh, floor bid floor like color, like collection wide offer that uh, we've been developing in that time like to basically for two months and uh, we launched it right after so that was a very interesting very interesting just feeling and emotion to watch them launch does it validate you as a founder when you see that or do you get pissed off that you didn't launch it first both of course <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. I guess you can use it as a motivator. That makes sense. And it's something that I've always felt as a founder myself where, you know, especially with Twitter right now, you know, one of the problems with it is it's so easy just to promote the wins. And so on Twitter, you just see everyone sharing that everything's great and we're growing. And as an outsider, all you're seeing is positivity. And so you think, hey, because they did this first, they're winning. When the reality is there's so many other factors that come into play. And I think that's what makes a very strong founder is someone who can recognize what other industry competitors are doing while also being very confident with their own decisions and their roadmap, but also at the same time saying, hey, why don't we take a look at how they did that? Because maybe we can adapt it for something else in the future. That's how the team play comes uh, into the game. So I think that the other founder, uh, Alexei, uh, he is more confident in, in just like building the roadmap. So we find the middle ground there. I'm, I'm always out there on Twitter, uh, like influencer style, researching, reading everything, catching the waves, uh, the trends, the micro trends, following them. And this, this balances each other out. When you're doing your research right now, are you more of a Dune analytics research guy? Or are you someone who's primarily reading Twitter threads and like linking out to articles and getting more of like a qualitative look at what's going on with the market versus a quantitative look? I'd imagine it's more on the quantitative side, just given your background, but yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, in reality, it's not. No, it's more like qualitative. I try to follow the community because honestly, it is quite mm, so the on the technical level, the platforms are almost all the same. And it is important what community thinks about them and where do the community connect to each other. So at some point they say, oh, this is cool and we want to be there and we want to trade. In reality, it is in the trading world, it is people who trade with each other. It, it is not like you trade with them, you give them something that they want. You, you give them the space. There is a market. Uh, it's almost 
if, if we make the middle age comparison, you have a piece of land that people come to to make a, a Sunday fair, right? So it's not about really you, it's about how they perceive the environment. Do they think that it's a good piece of land just to like it is located in a convenient place to come and trade? That's why, like, if everybody suddenly would just like go away from one place to another, that the second place will become the primary one and not the first one. So it is very much about like what community thinks, what are the sentiment, uh, where they move. And that's why I, I read Twitter a lot. That was very thoughtful. Thank you for sharing that. I'd like to dive into the new product line. And so we've got two new products at Rarible that just released. Number one is the aggregator where users can view and purchase Ethereum NFTs from Rarible, OpenSea, LooksRare, X2Y2, and Pseudoswap. And then you've also got the Rari DAO, which approved new locking and rewards programs for Rari tokens. Was I correct on that? Are those the two new products that we've got out? Yes, uh, that is correct. Awesome. And so when it comes to the aggregator, at what point did you realize that you wanted to turn Rarible into one? Yeah, that is the reality of the today market. Uh, Rarible started as the art platform. There was a lot of artists that created one of ones and a lot of features of Rarible was built that way that promoted individual artists. For example, the very first leaderboard that we had, it wasn't even collection-based leaderboard. It was an artist-based leaderboard. So you go there and you see, oh, who is the top trending artist today? Shifting that uh, from art to more like global market with collections, with PFPs took some time. And in that time, uh, it was a crucial time to attract your own liquidity. So for PFPs, we do not have a lot of liquidity. That's why when we shifted and created the feature parity and some even cooler stuff on Rarible, um, when the first buyer comes, there is no seller. When the first seller comes, there is no buyer. So you got to have liquidity in the today market. You, we want, we gave the user the great UI and UX, and we want the person to be able to go and find everything that they want to buy. That is why you use the platform. You don't like it is beautiful. Yes, but if there is nothing on sale, it is uh, not very usable. So it is the combination. You have to have liquidity. You have to have everything on sale. And on top of that, you want to innovate on the UX. What's a more difficult challenge for you building the aggregator from a product perspective or marketing the aggregator to the community? I think at this point, marketing is, is more difficult. And that's how the token comes into play, actually. Can you talk about the token? So um, there is a lot of different ways to talk about the token. I'm trying I know. I, the, you know what's so funny? The second I said that, I go, I'm thinking to myself, how the hell is Alex going to respond to that question? It's such an open-ended question, but I don't know. Feel, feel free to run with us. Tell, tell us about the token. Maybe we'll leave it just a little bit more open-ended. Fundamentally, the innovation of blockchains is in coordinating people. So a thousand years ago, you couldn't kill the mammoth yourself. You assembled a hundred people and together one of them was like 
tightening the rope. Another was like, I don't know what are the, all the tricks that people were able to use to, to, to kill the, uh, the animal uh, and while ki killing animals. But that's a good metaphor for how important coordination is. There is different like laws about networks that the value of the network of people is proportional to the number of people squared in that network. So every new person adds like a lot of value into that. So blockchains in general is just network of people who are transacting to each other. And token is like why everybody tries to launch a token. It's a great tool to coordinate people around something. So let's try to unpack what are the new token mechanics and what we try to coordinate people to do. So uh, the like Rarible 2 is an aggregator with the token incentives and aggregator part itself is very clear. You just go there and everything is on sale. But we have our own order book so you can sell on Rarible as well. So there's like multiple order books. Then uh, what we're trying people, what we're trying to make people coordinate around so first mechanic that we added, it is the royalties cashback. If you buy anything through aggregator, you're getting rarity token back uh, as uh, in the size of the royalties. That is made so like it is directly better to use aggregator uh, than other than even going directly to that marketplace and buy from there because here you're getting rewards. So uh, we're trying um, to, to make people like use aggregator. Okay, so the second mechanic is you bought an item. We want to uh, help you list it on variable to create our own liquidity. So list your item on variable and, and the lower you list it, the more reward you're getting. So it's an, it's building an order book, just like the lowest, the lower item in the order book is, it is the more important for the marketplace because that would be the more important for the buyer who will come. So that's the second part of the program. It's a buyer reward and listing reward. Now, the third part of the program, it is what are the actual collections in which this is happening? If we make this rewards available for the whole market, the rewards will be just too small they will be just too sprayed around the market. So we want to have the much more concentrated incentives in the limited amount of subset of the market. That's why we chose only five collections that are having incentives uh, at the very beginning. And the next five are going to be chosen by the token holders, the next five collections. Like, So we want to people to coordinate on buying, listing, and choosing which collections are the next hot because yep. the community knows better actually uh, about which collections are hot and which collections are new. And then there is fourth part of the program, which is Rary Prime. When you accumulated enough rewards, that is a hundred tokens today, you can lock them up and you can enjoy the 0% fees inside variable order book and you enjoy the Rary Prime status. Uh, it is the preferred status. We all know how it works. You're pro, pro trade for free, pro have a badge on the marketplace and pro have their own community. So this is like, it's, a, it's quite a complex set of mechanics, but in reality, they are all created to coordinate people around doing a something common. And that is something and that something common is actually making variable great. So 
when people try and help making variable great, when we build in local liquidity on variable, when we incentivize people to buy through aggregator, when we incentivize people to list on variable, when we incentivize people to come to variable, this like analogy that uh, with the middle age, we incentivize people to just create this community on this piece of land. And by, and, and that's a work, people, people need to work to do that. And that is work. And when people put something to work, we want to give them something back. So that's a collective effort. Everyone should win in that, in that collective effort. Variable is winning by attracting new users. Users are winning by getting rewards. The more rewards they're getting, the more uh, crowded variable becomes, the better becomes rewards. So like, it's, a, it's a vortex of mechanics. Uh, if everyone follows which, you're getting uh, the new system in which everyone wins. And that is the coordination. It's a positive sum game when uh, it's not that I won and you lost. It is like all of us won because we've been doing a common goal. And were there any major hesitations that the DAO had around the new and improved locking and rewards program? And did the DAO even have a chance to vote on that? Or is that something that just the Rarible team decided to implement without their vote? So we followed the path of progressive decentralization. We started eventually just like, oh, Rarible team decides everything. And from that on, we're moving towards like, no, Rarible team doesn't decide anything anymore. So this particular launch was something in between. So the DAO was voting for that. The particip participation was fairly low. Uh, and uh, Rarible put a lot of efforts into executing that as like, you know, Uniswap Labs is executing on behalf of the Uniswap Foundation. Um, so this kind of model. So Rarible was, was, was coding that mechanics. We were an executor of this. Uh, the major hesitation is, okay, like, are we sure that these rewards are not going to dilute the market? That's, the, that's the, always the question. So the idea is you should balance it out. You should, like in, in that game, that economy should converge to make everyone happy. And it, of course, it's always an experiment and you never know if that's going to work and, or not. And do you bring in advisors to help out with the tokenomics or is it all done by the core rareable team, at least that initial proposal? Um, the initial proposal, yes, there is a lot of people that worked on that. The foundation uh, had worked on that. Some variable VC investors gave comments like, oh, we don't think that's good we, or we think that is good. Like I put some thoughts, like I put a lot of thoughts into doing that. So it's a collective effort for sure, as it should be in the DAO. But uh, that's awesome. It's a fairly complex project. It, it's hard to think about those things. And uh, this was one of the biggest learnings after we launched the DAO that the sub, it is quite a different skill set from like, I don't know, I'm creator, I'm creating, and then I, I have some economic background and I can uh, analyze this mechanism that we are trying to put forward. And that was one of the biggest like reasons why it took so long for the DAO to to start doing anything because initially that was a DAO of creators and the DAO of creators is not built to produce complex economic decisions. True. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Well, Alex, this has been so much fun and I'm 
personally glad that we have this relationship now. I'm glad to know that you're in Williamsburg and I just appreciate you coming on and being super transparent, also informing me and the audience on what you've got going on with Rarible. Overall, just a huge fan of what you and your team are building. And thank you again for joining. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an amazing conversation. I love in-depth questions. I love questions that make me think. And I uh, honestly, I just like love the, the energy of, of the dialogue. That's it, man. That's what makes it fun. And you know, I, I do this just to meet new people and to have a good time. And the only way that I get such amazing people to join is by being so charismatic and so open and doing my research because otherwise it's just another boring conversation and I'm just wasting your time. So I'm glad to hear that you got a lot out of it and I would love to push this out and I'll probably just release it on Tuesday to get it right out there. And if there's anything that you ever need from me on either a personal level, whether to get you more connected into New York or on a business level, please let me know. I'd be happy to support. That's amazing. Thank you, Dion. Thank you for, for having course. me here today. It's an amazing time. Of course. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your week. That's it, everyone. Hope you enjoyed. Hit that subscribe button and we'll see you next time.